Are you feeling stuck, lost, or confused about what to do next in your career? Then the Manifest Your Career podcast is just right for you. I'm your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a career mindset coach. I help successful Latinas who are battling self-doubt, self-sabotage, and imposter syndrome. I teach my clients how to combine their intuition, skills, and knowledge so that they can manifest their dream career. It's time you start listening to your inner wisdom and guidance. Tune in each week to the Manifest Your Career podcast and learn how to align your mindset to your career goals. Keep listening and together we'll manifest your dream career. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode 61. And today I have another guest interview for you. Her name is Sandra Hinojosa Ludwig, the award-winning author of the best-selling book, Chica Why Not, published by Hay House in 2021. And I was one of the first to be able to read the book. I somehow connected with her, followed her, found out she was publishing a book. So back in 2021, that was really exciting to see someone that was being published through Hay House, which is my absolute favorite publisher. I have way too many Hay House books and Oracle decks. But anyway, let's get back to Sandra. Sandra is the manifesting chica, and what lights her up is helping Latinas to intentionally manifest a life that loves them back. She was born and raised in Monterrey, Mexico. Sandra shares her successful 20 plus year corporate career journey with us. She's worked with some of the most iconic food brands in the world. Her career took her to live in Germany, the United States, the United Kingdom, and ultimately Canada, where she now resides. Tired from trying to unsuccessfully chase happiness, she turned to therapy and spirituality for help, eventually becoming a certified coach, a somatic experience practitioner in training, a Reiki practitioner, and a certified angel card reader. Through her social media, her writing, coaching, and speaking, Sandra has connected with English and Spanish-speaking women from all over the Americas, and today you can hear her career journey on my podcast. Sandra, thank you for being here. I appreciate you coming and sharing your career journey with us. And the first question I have for you is, can you tell us about your family background, where you grew up, and who did you live with? Yeah, I grew up in Monterey, Mexico. I was born in Mexico City, but my parents moved to Monterey, Mexico when I was still a baby. So I grew up there, and I went to school there. Um, Mom and Dad live at the house. I have two sisters and a brother. My parents separated when I was probably 16. So my dad moved out, but he was always around too. And so when you were young and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, 
What do you recall telling them? Oh, I so very much wanted to be an actress or a singer. I was one of those theater kids growing up. We had a theater club when I was in school and I was huge into theater and dancing and singing. But, you know, it wasn't until high school that I discovered my love for science too. So, you know, even though when I was little, I was more on the creative side, as I grew up, I really fell in love with science. Yeah. And so then as, as you grew up, did you have any early career role models that you imagine yourself being like in the sciences or in anything else? You know, my high school chemistry professor, he's the one that I remember the most because he made me fall in love with chemistry. I really did. And since then, chemistry became this thing that I really enjoy. It was almost like playing Lego, like putting which Legos go together with what and what do they look like when they're together kind of thing. However, in my previous career, I worked in the food industry for 20 years. My first role model that I remember looking at her and say, I want to be you. I was in high school and they made us interview people that we thought had good, like cool career jobs. And it was this lady that she studied food science and she was working a lab in a juice factory. So she would do all the quality testing for the juices. And I remember going to her lab to interview her. Um, the lab was only like a, a few blocks from where I live. So I walked there and I'm seeing her in her lab coat doing all this chemistry testing. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to do that. So that was my first that I'm like, I want to do that. And then I would say later in my career, maybe like 10 years in. No, maybe less. I don't know. Something around that. I remember I had never seen a female BP or a female leader within the R&D kind of area. By then I was working R&D and I, they hired a new BP of R&D and she came from Coca-Cola where she was also a BP. And I remember looking at her and they asked me to give her the tour of the plant. Back then I was working in quality. And they say, Sandra, can you show her the plant? And I went around and I showed her all the different processes that we had and what we did. And I asked her about her experience. And she had kids, which is a, a female VP of R&D with kids. And her husband also was a VP of manufacturing from, for Cargill or something like that. I'm like, oh, my God, they do exist. And um, at the end of the tour, I remember saying to her, I want to work for you one day. And uh, yeah, it was two years later, she brought me over to work for her. That's beautiful. And uh, okay, well, I'm gonna take us back a little bit. I'm anxious to hear all about that. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't really know something exists and just seeing it, it gives that portal right to that. Oh, I can do that too. I know it makes it possible. It makes it tangible. Like, yeah, this can happen and it's doable. So now I want to hear about your educational background. I know the education system is a little bit different in Mexico. So if you could just walk us through that. And if you went to college right after high school. Yeah. So in Mexico, you have your elementary school, which is six years. Then you have your middle school, which is, we call it secondary school, secundaria, which is uh, grade seven, eight, and nine. And then after that, high school. So when I did high school in Monterey, high school was only two years. So it would be the equivalent of grade 10 and 11. We didn't have a grade 12. Uh, now it's three years, but back then it was two. 
And um, and then after that, uh, you will go to university. So I started university at, what was it, 15 years old? I don't know. Anyway, I started university pretty young. I did chemical engineering, and my program was four and a half years. So I graduated very young. I graduated a month after I turned 21. So extremely young. And now looking back, I wish I hadn't. Or I wish I had slowed down a little bit, but that's how it was back then. And then after I finished university, I worked in Mexico. Well, I did an internship in Germany for a year with this exchange association. And then I came back to Mexico and I worked in Mexico for three years in quality, good quality, like the person I had seen when I was younger. And after that, I decided I really, really like food science. So I went and did a master's in food chemistry. Um, I did that in the United States. So I did that in Kansas State. I was there for three years. And then after that, I finished. And I really didn't go back to school until later in my career when I decided to become a coach. And then since then, I have completed two coaching certifications, a Reiki certification, and now I'm doing a three-year program on somatic experience, which is for trauma therapy. So interesting. And, you know, food scientists, you hardly ever hear about that. Like, I don't think I knew that existed. And, you know, you hear it and you really don't know what it means. But I actually had a peer who was a food scientist and he would talk about different things. And I'm like, wow, that is so interesting. Like he told me that I must have some certain gene because I like sweet and low, but I don't like Splenda. Like Splenda's too sweet for me and sugar's not sweet enough. And that's why I go with Splenda. Like one Splenda is like, I don't know how many sugars, but it's better than having, I don't know, two cups of sugar with sweet tea, even though I don't drink tea. But I can do one Splenda with my coffee or two Splenda. I mean, not Splenda, sweet and low. Splenda has like a weird taste. But anyway, it's so interesting that that exists, right? And nobody really thinks about. So I don't know. I love I love hearing about what people do and the different things that interest them in that. So what sparked your interest in the food sciences other than seeing that person in that? Like, You know, if you don't kind of science, like you said, not many people think how much science is in food, but there is so much. Everything that you eat is some kind of molecule that interacts with your body in a, in a certain way, that interacts with your taste buds a different way. For example, what you're saying, that aftertaste and stuff like that, that has to do with the molecules and how they are. For example, in the case of sugar versus sweet and low, it has to do with how your your body metabolizes them. So it's different glycemic index. So one hits you really quickly, really fast, while the other releases very slowly or not at all because the molecule doesn't have sweet groups or anything like that. So it's, it's really fascinating to learn that. And then how do you use all of that? So most of my career was actually spent working with starches, so anything that is baked or extruded, and it's really learning how you can use everything that you know about the different food group, about the different food molecules, and how do you deliver an eating experience? It's not a food, but an eating experience to the client that wants to eat that, and that is anything from what it smells like what it looks like, what the texture is, what the taste is. I, I love testing products that have, for example, different layers of flavor. I love closing my eyes, putting it in my mouth, and feel like 
you know, a first peak of sweetness followed by a little bit of sour, you know, with an end that is salty. Like I just, it's, it's such a science to bring together these eating experiences and it just fascinated. So I started my career in quality and food safety and eventually moved to product development and innovation. And I think if I were to describe my career in food, it's, a, it's really about creating this eating experiences that people love. And I was very fortunate because towards the end, I, I got to, so my last job in corporate, it was leading North American innovation for a large food manufacturer, uh, working with really iconic brands like Oreo and Chips Ahoy and all of these brands. So I was involved in many launches that people still have in their cupboards. And it's kind of nice to know that I contributed even if a little bit to that. So amazing. So amazing. And again, like stuff nobody thinks about, like there's so much science that goes behind it. And then it, it makes uh, probably those food scientists so mindful, right? Like in the way they eat the food and, you know, the differences between people, like there's people like me who can taste certain stuff and there's people, you know, and that's why they make a lot of varieties and people wonder why they make varieties because not everyone tastes it the same way. Yeah, I know. And, and uh, I mean, it is known, for example, that some people have a preference for chocolate, but some people have a preference for fruit. So, or like fruity flavors. So then you're going to see your gummies and your chocolate to go for both, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. So now what has been, what would you say is the most influential experience in your career so far? So I consider myself as having two careers. So the first one was food science, for sure. The second one is this new career where I'm a coach and I help Latinas. So I would say in my first career, my most impactful things is probably the first big product development project that I had. It was Uncle Ben's and I did, um, and I can remember what they call it in, in the United States, but it was basically this pouch with rice and meat. That was my first ever big product development. And I'm very proud of that one. And I think as I grew in the organization, not doing projects as much, more leading teams, I think. It was the launch of um, Oreo Dance because that was a very significant launch for the organization. It was me leading this team, making sure that they had everything they needed, managing risk, managing expectations for sure, because you have a lot of directors expecting to make a lot of money out of this product and they want to make sure that it's going to be great. It definitely challenged me as a leader. It challenged me as a technical person and yeah i think those two projects have been the biggest projects in my food science career i would say in my coaching career it's definitely been the launch of my book that was probably the most fulfilling of all the projects i've done there yes yes and i will ask you questions about your book here in a bit but before we get there what were some of the challenges that you faced while you worked in more of corporate america you know, even though food science tends to be a women-dominated, when you look at science and engineering, it's mostly male-dominated. But science is probably 50-50, maybe even 60-40, 60% women, 40% men. However, all senior leaders tend to be men. So you still find some of those things where you need to assimilate to the way men speak in business. You know you might walk into a meeting and be interrupted be mansplain, those sorts of things. I was very lucky that my last boss 
and it was hard to leave the corporate world just because of that boss that I had. He was amazing. And I was so lucky he was my last boss. But I also had some boss that were not very good. And they were very actually kind of misogynist. So I think that was the hardest part, when, especially when I worked in quality and safety. I was directly dealing with the plants. And seeing a Mexican woman show up, at one point I was leading quality and safety for the UK. And I remember walking and it's all these British and European men and this Mexican woman walks in and that did not go well. <laughs> Having many times to swallow what I really wanted to say, what I was really thinking and trying to, knowing that you cannot change the way things are, having to fold myself in ways that felt many times unnatural so that things could still get done, so that I could still do my job just because I'm dealing with a system that was not welcoming to women, let alone a Mexican woman. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, because that's something that we all don't talk about. I work in a women-dominated field, but we also have a lot of men at top, which is very interesting. Just shows, right? Like, there's still a lot of work to do there on those things. Now, what has been some of the worst career advice that you've received? That you need to assimilate in order to go up. And don't get me wrong. I think there are two things. I think who we are that I don't think we ever need to change. And then there is communication. Communication, for it to be effective, I believe you need to understand how the person that you're trying to communicate the information to likes to receive information, prefers to receive information, or is even able to receive information. So for you to be an effective communicator, it's not about changing who you are, but it's about tailoring the communication in such a way that that person can easily understand what you're trying to say. So that is one thing. However, I don't think that you tailoring the communication to the person that you're trying to communicate to means changing who you are. So early in my career, I remember being told, you are too much, Sandra. You need to bring it down a notch, bajale dos rayitas, like they say in Mexico, otherwise you're never going to make it up. And I remember this guy, who, by the way, is a very good friend of mine now, but back then he said, when you look at senior management, you cannot even tell what they're thinking because their face is like a mask. Like you cannot tell, are they happy? Are they sad? Are they angry? I think that's asking someone to ignore part of who they are. I'm a very human person. I'm a very expressive person. Obviously, if my team is going through something really hard, I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Like, I'm not going to panic them. But I also <laughs> don't want to yeah. be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, like, I want to be like, oh, my God, yeah, I can see that. That's big. Let's figure it out together, right? So there was an expectation when I first started my career that for me to be up, to go up in my career, I needed to really knock it off. You know, not be as expressive, not be as loud, not, not, not show that much passion. I don't think we need to do that. I think you can be who you are because that's your magic sauce. That's your, that's right. your yeah. who you are. And actually, this passion, this, this way that I, that I am always excited about what I'm doing, 
always present, always trying to to do more, has been one of the most amazing things about me, either in my food science career or now in my coaching slash author career. However, I do believe that people communicate in a special way. We all prefer communications in certain ways, right? So if I know my boss is very um, visual, so I'm going to tailor the information to show him graphs. If I know my boss prefers storytelling, I'm going to tell a story rather than show him with tons of facts, right? So I do believe we need to understand how the person that we're trying to communicate likes to receive information so that we can do that in an effective way. However, I don't believe that means changing ourselves, which was the expectation at the beginning of my career, that I should change myself to get to where I wanted to go. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I love that. I love the examples that you gave because it is true. We have to learn how to communicate how the other person needs to receive the information. Yeah. And yeah, definitely not change ourselves. A man would never be told you need to tone yourself down. It's just because you were a woman and then a woman of color as well. Yeah, because then, I mean, my sister, for example, she she works in manufacturing. She's she's an operations manager. And um, some of the things she tells me sometimes that, her boss will t- tell her or even other colleagues. I sometimes tell her, you do realize they will never say that to a male colleague. And I, I think that's where, again, you know, these spaces, sometimes I get the feeling that we're created for a specific kind of person. And then when you walk in as a Mexican woman, you might not fit in 100%. And the expectation is that you should fit in. And no, that's not how it works. You should change your system to be more welcoming of other right. people. I actually right. think, um, yeah. the more I think about it, that that's what imposter syndrome is. I don't think it's that it's us believing that we're not good enough. I think it's us internalizing this message from the system telling us that we don't belong there. When in reality, no, it's not me. It's you. I'm your system. That is completely wrong. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. And once I started looking at things from that point of view, I realized that, yeah, there's nothing wrong with me. And now once you see that, you cannot unsee it. You can go to places and realize, yeah, this place is not welcoming. And it has nothing to do with me thinking I don't belong here. It's because I truly don't belong here. This was not made for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, yeah. I definitely agree with that. It didn't it didn't have you in mind when it was created. And you know, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be there. We just need to now create a new space where we do fit. Mm-hmm. Something more welcoming, of course. Yes. Yes. Now what has been some of the best career advice that you received? If you've received any <laughs> it might have just come from yourself. I don't know if I would call it career advice as much as career modeling. I, I remember the first time I met the VP of R&D for North America. She was Dominican. And I remember seeing her. And she was loud. And she was happy. And she was, she was amazing. And not once would she change herself. And then in that same company, my director, she was Puerto Rican. And she was too, she was loud and she was, I think for me, that was 
I had been suspecting that I didn't need to change myself to fit in for a while. And I think that was a confirmation mm-hmm. that you could be who you are and, and still make it. And now, in retrospect, I was in the putting the two for 22 years. In retrospect, I actually know that who I am is my magic sauce. Yeah. And me getting rid of it, no, it's like, why be vanilla when you can be like amazing raspberry cheesecake flavor? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I just also want to add for some of us, like for myself, I think I'm a very like muted person and reflecting is like, am I muted because that's me or am I muted because that's how I've been conditioned to be? Before I started recording, I had shared with Sandra, I am a very masculine energy. When she talked about that flat face, I could sit in a meeting and nobody knows what I'm thinking because that's just how I've learned to be, right? And now as I step more into a feminine energy, I know that, you know, there's there's that part of me that, yes, I do kind of lead more with the masculine energy and it's, you know, an unfolding and it's a process. So I just wanted to also for anybody that maybe does lead with a more masculine energy, you know, just ask yourself, is this how I like to be? And yeah, in a professional setting is it probably it just comes naturally. I just I don't even know how it happens. It just does. But then also knowing and recognizing that it's okay to have a balance. It's okay to be that person and it's okay to be the other you. You are multifaceted. You're not just a singular being. You range and it's okay to go from one to the other as long as you are, you know, being who you authentically feel that you are. Oh, I love that. I love And I think you will know. I, I really think you know whether or not you're leaving parts of yourself behind because of how you feel in that space. If you feel like you, you are safe to be you, then, then you're, you're great. But if you feel, well, I can't do that because if I do that, I might be too much or people might think I'm too quiet or people might think I'm, you know, that's when you know that that space does not feel safe for you. It might not be the space, it might just be you too, but you're not feeling safe to be who you are in that space. And I agree. I mean, I talk about loud and big because that's my personality. But if your personality is in the, in the opposite spectrum, you should feel safe to be that person too in that space. And that will be your magic sauce because you will see things that the loud people, because they are too busy talking, they are not seeing. You will hear things that the loud people are not hearing. Everyone has a magic sauce, whatever it is that your gifts are. You just need to connect with them and feel safe to bring them to the surface. Love that. I love that. Do you have any other career advice that you want to share with the audience? Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to my nephew who's going to start university next year. And, you know, I'm a coach too. So I'm like, so what are you thinking? (laughs) You know, I see with him and he was saying, well, I want to be a chemical engineer and eventually I want to be a CEO. And I'm like, well, most of the CEOs I know, they're actually not technical. They went, or if they're technical, they eventually pivot to sales and marketing, for example. So if I were to talk to myself when I first started my career, I would ask myself, how do you picture your day? Like the feeling, before you even define the what do I want, 
identify how do I want to feel and then take that. And if I'm not like going to the store, I know that the first dress that you try on is not going to be the perfect one. And that's okay. Because now you're going to know you don't want puffy sleeves. Maybe you want no sleeves. And then the next dress you try it on, you know, or career, you're not going to get it perfect the first time. And if you're not meant to. You're meant to try many different things. And every time you try something that is not 100% is, now you're getting closer to what might be 100% is. And, and don't be afraid to make changes. My, my nephew was like, I show him, I brought up different people in LinkedIn that I know with many different careers. And I was showing them. And one of them, for example, is an engineer. did a year and a half in finance, then went back to engineering. And now he's VP of engineering. And he was saying, it wouldn't be a, you know, a bad thing in your career to make a move to finance if you don't know for sure. And I'm like, no, because first of all, and we counted the years. I'm like, this guy was 30 years old when he made that change. He still had 35 years to go. The worst that can happen is you spend two years and you go back, which is what he did. The best that can happen is now he has a skill set that none of the other engineers has, which is I know finance. I know how to bring my products to the market. I know how margins are calculated. I know how profit is made in this company. Now I'm bringing this new perspective into the role that I know I love, which is engineering. So don't be afraid to make changes. The worst that can happen is you don't like it, you go back, and now you have an extra set of skills that no one that's stay in that career has. And the best that can happen is you find out, oh my God, I never thought this was possible and this is better than anything I've ever thought. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and you know, everything's there and it teaches us something, right? So yeah. now I want to hear how you transitioned or what pushed you to transition from corporate to now going to coaching full-time and publishing your book. I want to hear all of that. Yeah, so I'm not 100% in coaching. I still do a little bit of consulting on the side. Um, that transition, though, to leave the corporate world was because as you grow in your career, the demand change. And now it's finding myself working 60 hours a week and traveling once a month. By the time I left the corporate world, I actually calculated that I have been traveling in average one week a month for the last 12 years. Uh, and that works for you. And going back to how do you want to feel? I was feeling very rushed and I did not want to feel rushed. Also, at that time, I had a um, three year old. And I was once again, I had just returned from England. And within two years of returning to England, I was being asked to move back to the United States. And that was kind of like, okay, sitting down with myself and being, what do I want to feel? What do I want my life to look like? You know, I wanted to be present for my son. I wanted to attend his little festivals when he does cheesy songs and I wanted to have weekends where I, I didn't have to be, you know, preparing for a presentation on Monday. I didn't want to have to spend hours upon hours in the airport. And I also noticed as I started becoming more of a people manager and a leader, I really enjoy the coaching side of it, like the talking to people, the helping them with their careers, the understanding 
where they are, where they want to go, giving the resources to get them there. So I wasn't 100% sure at the beginning what my new career might look like, but I knew it wasn't probably what I was doing. So I follow my own advice, what I just say. You know, I started to try in dresses. I did uh, angel car reading, and it was like, yeah, I like it. It's fun, but it's not it. Then I tried the Reiki, you know, like the little bear in the bed, right? Like, then I went and did the Reiki, and yeah, I liked it, but it wasn't it. And then I did coaching, and coaching was what felt closer. And then I started doing that. I first started coaching in the corporate world, but then I decided to leave, and then I started doing it more formally. In 2018, I did this. They call it the writer's workshop, which is how to write a book. Every year, I try to do something I've never done before, like a new class, just to try something new. So that was what I did that year. And then at the end of the writer's workshop, you get to submit a proposal. I have by then been doing the law of attraction for, I think, 12 years. And um, so, again, I thought about what can the book be about? I thought about making it actually about career. And then at one point I said, no, because for me, when I take a step back, everything is governed by the law of attraction. So I want to write about that. I want to write about this big umbrella where everything sits underneath. And that was the first book. First book. Is there another book? I'm working on my second one. So I'm doing a lot of research on that. Oh, can you tell us what it's going to be about yet? Or Yeah, you know, when I started doing, um, I did a lot of interviews for the first mm-hmm. book. Uh, it came from a different place. It's funny how the energy works. You were saying that before we started the conversation. I think the universe leads you to where you're meant to go. It gives you little signs across the way. And it's been giving me signs for a while to go even deeper into the law of attraction. I remember years ago, probably three years ago, I read this blog post from a teacher of mine, which I adore. Her name is Silvia Pereo. She says there is two kinds of people in the world. The people that grew up feeling safe, feeling loved, feeling like everything is possible. And then the people that grew up not feeling any of that. And what I'm coming to realize is that asking the second set of people, the one that didn't grow up safe, didn't grow up loved, didn't grow up believing that things are possible, asking them to think positive, it might be a little bit too much of a stretch. So I do still believe the universe wants nothing more than for you to be happy. And I still do believe the universe will meet you whatever you are. I just don't believe that alignment begins with think happy thoughts. Or I don't believe that alignment for them begins with think of what is possible. Because many of them maybe don't know what is possible because they've never seen it. Or they, they have never been allowed to dream. So I believe that in those cases, alignment actually starts with the nervous system really allowing for you to create space within your nervous system to hold joy as much as you hold grief and sadness and anger and resentment. You know, it's creating this space within your body to hold joy. I think that's where alignment begins. So that's what my next book is going to be about. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't wait. That, oh my gosh, there's <laughs> so much there. And absolutely, um, I think one of my first podcast episodes, I talk about the why. And uh, you're right. There is the people who have hope somehow instilled in them. 
right? Whether it came from your parents or yourself sometimes. And I say that because I think it was a combination for me opposed to to my siblings. I feel like they had a different first five, seven years of their life. And that's like the time that really matters. And it was very different for me. My parents um, were very much in love and happy. And so my first five years was that. And I know that for my two older sisters, it wasn't like that. And for my younger brother, it wasn't like that. And I can see the differences there, but it really didn't sit in until like, it was 2009 and I was doing like a part-time mentorship type job. And I spoke with a, a I was a teenager, a truant teen. And so trying to encourage them to to go to school and things like that. And when I asked like, oh, where are you going to go to college? Because that was a typical question that I would hear all the time. And he's like, oh, you really think I could go to college? No one's ever asked me that before. You know, and it's that little seed, but it was also that transformation for myself, right? Of like, you know, there's people who have never had any hope given to them ever. And, you know, you can't, be telling these people think happy thoughts they may not even know what a what a good feeling feels like exactly oh my god that is so good yes you're right and that is the thing that i think we don't talk very much when i look at teachers of the law of attraction we don't talk very much which is some people don't have a space in their bodies let alone in their minds to hold joy you know, because they've never seen what joy feels like or what peace feels like. And I'm, I want to say, too, that even people that grow up in exactly the same condition, because their nervous system have different levels of how much they can hold, one people might be traumatized while the other is not. You know, and it really has to do with how much space you have within your nervous system to hold overwhelm. Absolutely. It really comes down to it. And yeah. when someone is stuck in freeze or fight or flight, how do you help them move from survival to thriving? And that is what I've been fascinated by for the last few years. I've read probably close to 10 books in trauma now. I'm doing the certification in somatic experiencing, trying to figure out how can we move these people? How do, can we help them move? from this space of hopelessness to possibilities. Yeah, that's what I'm fascinated about lately. (laughs) Oh man, I love it. So then I do have to ask a book that I think is amazing. Maybe you've already read it, but it could probably help you too. It's called The Deepest Well. Is it The Deepest Well? Have you heard of it? No, I haven't read that. Okay, I'll send you the information. It's called The Deepest Well. It's by Nadine Harris. She's a pediatrician. She talks about how a lot of trauma shows up as ADHD, as diabetes, as asthma. And so she gives all about like the physical part. And then you'll you'll absolutely love it. I bet you'll read it in like three days because it's so good. And I highly recommend everybody listening to check it out. It talks about ACEs. If you've heard about ACEs before, if you haven't, that's another thing for you. But Yeah, adverse childhood experiences, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I'm fascinated about, too, is how all of this connects spiritually. You know, I, I tend to put an energetic and a spiritual lens to things. And also lately, I've been also fascinated by how indigenous cultures manage this, right? So in an indigenous culture, when someone is traumatized, they say that their spirit left their body. So healing, what they call it, is bringing your spirit back. And... When I think about alignment, 
alignment is true authenticity, true connection with who you really are, with the person the universe knows you to be. So trauma is disconnection. So to me lately, I actually did a TikTok about it recently, authenticity, the opposite of authenticity is disconnection. Because that means you're not connected at all. And how can you allow well-being into your experience when there is no connection between you and your higher self, between you and the spirit, between you and the world? It is impossible. So healing is this process of reestablishing the connection with who you really are, with who the universe knows you to be, to your higher self, to God. So I am fascinated on bringing all of these pieces together to help people work with the universe. And as you talk about disease, so the first book of Louise Hay, which is How to Heal Your Life, is about that. It's about how this disconnection creates patterns within our lives that eventually deprive our body from its vital energy that then translates into disease. There's a teacher that I love. His name is Jerome Braggs, and he talks often about that, which is when you keep those patterns of disconnection for too long, that's when disease manifests in your body. And disease is just this, this warning label, this warning sign that there is not enough vital energy in your body. And the way to bring that vital energy, what he says is the way to bring that vital energy back is with self-love. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's going to, you know, it's going to transform the community because there's not a book from, well, at least that I'm aware of by Latina, because there is some that are not. And then um, I I legit just reading, I'm currently reading a lot of books similar. And so I think it's just funny that you're talking about this because, you know, it's just you know, this is how the universe works, right? Like when you're in alignment, you like, you see more and more, like we, we haven't talked about what we're reading and somehow we're reading the same thing. So I love it. It's just a confirmation <laughs> to me that, hey, you're exactly walking the steps that you need to be stepping on your path, right? So I know we could talk forever, but tell us what else you have going on. How can people connect with you and where they can follow you? I'll put everything in the show notes and anything else you want to share with the audience. Yeah, so people can connect with me in Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I do one class. That's the only class I do, which is Manifest Everything. I do it twice a year. I'm going to be launching it again uh, late September, early October to end the year. So you can start 2023, you know, running. I usually do it beginning of the year as well. But if you want to keep kind of informed, also go to my website. I have a free law of attraction one-on-one class that people can sign up to and that way you will get notification when the class opens i'm very excited because a lot of these things that i'm talking about right now i'm going to be incorporating in my class together with somatic techniques to start creating that space in your nervous system so i'm like so excited about it (laughs) oh my gosh that is exciting and totally needed because we all have a lot of different trauma that we don't realize how it affects and disconnects in the body and and the more that you disconnect right and we do that in different ways some people do it with different types of vices or even just zoning out to watch tv right like those types of things sometimes it's not even a quote-unquote bad vice like alcohol or drugs sometimes it could be just legitimate like overspending or all these different things but anyway so thank you so much sandra for being with us here i can't wait to read your new book whenever that comes out but 
you guys, if you want to connect with Sandra, you can do that on her socials. And I will put all of the links in the show notes for you guys. Yeah, no, I'm so excited. And thank you again for having me here. And uh, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Manifest Your Career podcast with me, your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a career and mindset coach. Learn more today on manifestyourcareer.com.